now Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union of Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for asking me, Ken. Excellent. Glad you could be here. Well, we have a lot of issues to talk about. I mean, mm -hmm. civil rights and uh, civil liberties are all in the news recently. I'd say so. And I guess we could we could start out talking about the um, the Voting Rights Act. That was recently uh, approved by uh, Congress and uh, signed by President Reagan. Yes, that was one of the big triumphs for the civil rights movement uh, this year. And at times it, we weren't quite sure we could make it. The mm -hmm. arch-conservatives, especially Helms, were intent on not letting it through. And a lot of support from, of course, the Southern uh, representatives not getting it passed. Uh, the ACLU joined with, that's, that's me, the American <laughs> Civil Liberties Union, mm -hmm. joined with an awful lot of groups, the, the Leadership Conference for Civil Rights, and most of the ones you could traditionally think of, um, the NAACP, etc., and decided that this was the most important issue. There probably is nothing more important than the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And the way it was going, it looked as if the Voting Rights Act, which has been in effect now uh, since 1965, was about to disappear, or at least be curtailed. Um, the one that's come through is, in fact, better than the one before, so it's a big triumph. Well, is that a uh, reason for us to sit back and relax now, knowing we, that we had a big victory there? No, no way. Um, in other fields, I don't think since I've been working with the ACLU, and that's since 1973, I've seen an assault like we've had in the past 18 months. Mm -hmm. Nixon pales into insignificance. Um, not only are they trying to attack the legislation and change it, but all of the enforcement agencies, the civil rights um, agencies, etc., uh, in every area, it's not just in one, have all had their staff cut, they've all had their powers cut, and the Justice Department is actually going away from it. It's saying that people don't have to go along with the civil rights law, for instance, in desegregation. It's sort of saying to state officials, well, even though you've been proved in the courts that you were guilty of segregating activities, you're off the hook now. It doesn't matter. You don't have to do anything. Hmm. Fact that, uh, I think back to the... Uh old days when the Justice Department was really uh, keeping watch over our civil rights, but today you don't hear too much about the Justice Department, do you? No, not unless it's the wrong way. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the Justice Department was in the case here. Mm -hmm. uh, now, left, right, and center, the Justice Department is being pulled out of all those kinds of cases. Mm -hmm. No more. What do you think is the major reason for this uh, assault on civil rights uh, nationwide? Is it because people aren't concerned, or, or, or basically, well, what's, what's uh, going on here? I think what happened was that people were so upset with the state of economy in 1980 that they really didn't hear what Reagan and the Republican platform was all about. Mm. They wanted a change. I mean, he's not, he hasn't done anything he said he wasn't going to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was anti-civil rights, he was anti-women. All of the things that the platform passed there are mm -hmm. all coming to pass. Um, maybe we were a little bit complacent in not looking at what was going on. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was as it was there. Mm -hmm. We've got to get up and do things, though. I think the other thing, too, is that um, there, is some, uh, there is a lot of apathy. And people have been kicked around now a lot. I don't think they know where to go anymore. Ah. Funny you should mention women. We just had a, a defeat, a stunning defeat, I guess, for the Equal Rights Amendment. A lot of people have been pushing for it. And I remember it started off uh, rolling along, uh, being ratified by quite a few states. But they couldn't get the last three. No. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's Again, it's the South <laughs> that we always seem to be fighting. Um, it's, it's a big disappointment. Mm. And it's hard to understand uh, in this country in 1982 that the Equal Rights Amendment would fail. 
-hmm. It doesn't say anything except that women will be treated equally in front of the law. Mm -hmm. And all of the things that the people who've been against the ERA said are not true. I mean, it's not going to um, disallow separate bathrooms. Mm -hmm. It's not going to take away protection from women. In fact, most of the laws that have gone into effect in states where the ERA had, had passed have extended what have been protective labor laws, for instance, mm -hmm. to men as well as women. I mean, they haven't taken them away. And in fact, it's it's interesting that it's not been the the anti-RA movement who've been helping women in such areas as daycare, battered women laws, these kinds of things. It's been very much the pro-ERA movement that's pushed for all that kind of legislation. Mm -hmm. well, who was basically against the ERA? Who was who's responsible for holding it up? Well, we've got some. I said some of the, the southern states, but mm -hmm. I, I think, you, of course, Phyllis Shafley is the one that comes to mind. A mm -hmm. uh, strange woman, and I'm not. I've never been sure where she comes from. Brilliant attorney, <laughs> uh, and or who she's representing. Or who she's representing in a background which would lead you to believe that, in fact, she should be the other way. Mm -hmm. She, her father, apparently lost his job. He'd been working for a government department, I think it was, uh, just about the time she was going to way to school. And she put herself through school by working during the day at school in an armament factory at mm -hmm. night, which just certainly was not easy going, mm -hmm. uh, and did it in a remarkably short time. For someone with that kind of background <laughs> to suddenly become, <laughs> she, she has anti-women and sort of arch concern or anything else, it's very, very strange. But she's played on the fears of a lot of women, mm -hmm. especially women who are, are tied to the home, that have got small children, that have never had an education, that are old. Um, and who were afraid, or they heard from her, that if the ERA went past, that their husbands would be allowed to dump them, there would be no, no, no protection for them, all the laws that could have helped them in the past. In fact, unfortunately, I mean, the reality of it is, is that um, the situation we've got in is more likely to result in that than if the ERA had been passed. We could have written protections in then. Mm -hmm. We can't now. And the way the courts have been going, unfortunately, women are being dumped. Mm -hmm. um, and they can't get alumni anymore. Very few courts are willing to give a woman alumni. You've got to have a very good attorney and a, a nice fee if you want to get that kind of decision now. We have 11 minutes after the hour of 6 o'clock, 76 degrees. I'm Ken Robinson on Radio 1490, and we're talking to Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union of Cleveland. You know, the American Civil Liberties Union is kind of an interesting organization in that uh, you can't really be classified as left-wing or right-wing or, or center because you've supported uh, groups from um, all over the spectrum when, when you felt their civil rights were in danger. That's made you kind of a controversial group, too, because uh, you've come to the aid of uh, the, the Nazis on certain occasions, and you've come to the aid of uh, blacks and, and Jews on other occasions. Mm -hmm. Isn't that uh, kind of unusual? Well, it's... I think it's the only way you can do it. Mm -hmm. The ACLU from its start, and we're over 60 years old now, has been non-political and non-partisan. If we at any one time in those 60 years had gone into court on behalf of a political party because we happen to like their politics or because we happen to like their philosophy, we would have lost the impact we had in the courts. We went in saying, we have no sides here. Let us just look at the constitutional issues. And that's what we do in every situation we're into, every case that we eventually bring into the courts. Mm -hmm. It is the constitutional issues. What argument can we use that's written into law, that's written into the Constitution? Um, and that's... And it, 
I know it sounds strange because you're right, most <laughs> people see us on the one side or the other and get angry with us very yeah. often <laughs> from one side or the other. But that's the reality. Mm-hmm. Every one of those cases is very, very carefully worked out. And we don't only, it's not just litigation. We're working in all the legislative bodies throughout the country. And we do a lot of work in public education trying to make people understand what their own rights are. Because unfortunately, um, although we have fantastic two fantastic documents in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, they're not Mm self-enforcing. And the government is more likely to take away your rights than to give them. There is no government body that was set up at that time that says they had to do this forever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand that that's why we're here. That's why we've been around for such a long time. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of our listeners are concerned about the the situation with the Haitian refugees in uh, southern Florida. uh, the Haitian refugees were detained um, in Florida. Some were shipped to uh, Puerto Rico uh, in a uh, one of our government uh, military uh, installations there. And uh, I guess a lot of people are asking why were the Haitians uh, why are the Haitians being detained when usually uh, um, immigrants from other countries, let's say Western Europe or Eastern Europe, come over and they're they're welcomed with open arms. Has the uh, ACLU looked into this situation? Yes, we've made been making statements right from the beginning. Uh, the most recent one I saw came out of our national office just last week. We're very concerned about these, you're right. Um, whatever the original policy was of letting the, the, the Haitians in, and you know, that's, always, that's been another question that's very much foreign policy. But once they were here, to treat them in this way is absolutely disgraceful. And it goes against every right that we could think of. I mean, the way they are being treated and held, some of them have been there for, I think it's 18 months. Mm. Um, I believe about 25 of them have already committed suicide and they're expecting more because it's been increasing over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. It's just a deplorable situation. Uh, and there's not just the ACLU now, a lot of other groups have joined and have made protests to the Immigration Department and the Administration. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that uh, could be done about the situation uh, through private citizens or other uh, agencies? I think so. I think that's one of the things that um, we have to, re- you know, people can do an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when people started complaining about El Salvador, I, you know, I think that was wonderful. But it mm-hmm. took four nuns to be killed and a lot of other very uh, nasty situations. I've read, at, in fact, the actual report on what's going on in El Salvador from some of the people who've been there on a long term. I mean, it's disgraceful. That, but that's just the top of the iceberg. But, but that kind of thing did get people talking and saying, hey, wait a minute to the administration. We don't want our money supporting this kind of regime. That can always be said. Mm-hmm. It's being said, unfortunately, by people we don't like now at the moment. I, mean, I think of the moral majority mm-hmm. and the force they've got by, again, just private citizens standing up and saying this is what we want. I mean, a tremendous voice now in the country. Mm-hmm. Now, President Reagan recently signed a bill that uh, hit the news media, but uh, there wasn't very much uh, fanfare about it. And not too many people reacted to it. And that was the uh, measure allowing... Uh, well, citizens to be prosecuted if they reveal the names of uh, CIA agents, even if they are on public record. Again, (laughs) this we fought all along. Um, This, unfortunately, was one of our big defeats. We have um, a legislative office in Washington and some extremely well-qualified people there, and and they've been lobbying. Now, this bill has been around off and on. It wasn't didn't start as a Reagan bill. It started even before it was first introduced in the Carter administration. Um, but this year we um, we just lost hands down in both the House and the Senate. We thought we would be able to stall it in the House, but we can't. What it means is, in fact, that anybody, especially any news person, who gives away the, or prints the name of a 
any kind of CIA agent or whatever, mm -hmm. even though that person isn't on any classified list or it's no danger, can be prosecuted. Mm -hmm. It's giving enormous powers to the government. And for those of us who are old enough to remember what it was like in the 1950s, mm -hmm. uh, we know what's what's capable of happening in this country. Does this mean we could uh, the United States government could possibly be gearing up for more uh, subversive uh, intelligence or activity around the world? A lot of people, I think, feel that. Um, who, especially those people who know anything about the national security, you know, you know the fact that they want to put, um, they don't want us to let us know what the CIA is doing, mm -hmm. and uh, etc. When in fact the CIA was uh, found uh, guilty of uh, spying on private citizens, You've something been doing it's not supposed to do. Reading, right, <laughs> things like the Church Report you know, and, and all of those. I mean, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, we've just finished a case, in fact, on behalf of uh, someone to get his Freedom of Information Act, and in it, work had to dis do a lot of discovery kind of work on the, the history of the F of the FBI, and mm. it's unbelievable. Um, not only did they spy. Uh, on people, but they actively went out to subvert, to uh, sort of disenchant the whites from the blacks, especially in the 60s and 70s, the anti-war movement from the other students and so on. I mean, these were memos that were made up and passed, as, and they really are, they really are awful, some of them. It's mm. incredible. And there they are. I mean, they, you ask for them under the Freedom of Information Act, and you'd be surprised what comes back sometimes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, we're going to give you, ladies and gentlemen, the chance to talk directly to Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties, Civil, Civil, <laughs> American Civil Liberties Union in Cleveland. I've been here since 4.30, so that's why <laughs> you can't talk after a while. But give us a call at 795-1212. That's 795-1212. There's a bunch of issues we can talk about. We can talk some more about the Voting Rights Act. We can talk about the ERA. Gay rights. We haven't even gotten to that one yet. Affirmative action. Uh, creationism uh, versus uh, um, evolution. evolution. 795-1212. Prayer in schools. Boy, there are so many issues, uh, and most of them haven't been really hitting the news media. They hit them off and on, I suppose. That's right. But uh, you can call in and talk to Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union. We have, uh, well, four lines open for your convenience. 795-1212. And uh, I do believe we're going to take a commercial break, and then we'll be right back. So you can call in now, get situated, and we'll come back to your telephone calls at 795-1212. I'm Ken Robinson. We'll be back right after these messages. 22 minutes after the hour of 6 o'clock, and we're talking now to Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union of Cleveland. We invite your telephone calls at 795-1212. We can talk about the uh, recent ruling from the Supreme Court dealing with banning books in public schools. We can talk about the ERA, gay rights, abortion restrictions, legal services for the poor. I can't wait to get to that one. The Haitian situation, 795-1212. That's 795-1212. Hello there. You're on the air. Uh, yes. I wanted to make a comment and pose a question. Right. Uh, I'm a native Miamian, although I live in Cleveland now, so I've always been interested in what has happened down there. And then I read in today's New York Times that uh, a 26-year-old Haitian died yesterday of tuberculosis after 11 months in uh, detention. So, and I've argued with friends that are from Miami that now live across the country, and some of them feel that two wrongs don't make a right by admitting the Haitians to the country, then we're compounding the problems of the blacks in Miami, 
as well as the Cuban situation, because the Cubans have now taken over many of the public offices in the city. The mayor of Miami is, well, he's Puerto Rican by birth, and the mayor of Hialeah and surrounding communities. And it's, it's a very tense situation there. And then here, watching the rest of the country with the Vietnamese and all the other refugees, the boat people, and the Polish people, everyone else the country's letting in, I feel that we can also accept the Haitians. And I was wondering if the ACLU is doing something to bring this to the attention of the Justice Department, even though they do disagree, even though supposedly they are in a line with Baby Doc and his political regime. And I also wanted to know how you could find out about more about the ACLU, if you have to be a lawyer or what kind of job you have to have. Can you volunteer or whatever? Okay, we'll take the uh, Haitian refugee question first. Can I ask who's Baby Doc first? Okay. <laughs> He's the uh, dictator, Baby Doc, oh, okay. the, the, the Devalier. All right. The, uh, the dictator I who's... Yeah, his father was Papa Doc. That's right, his father. Right. I've... Well, I'm hearing you say that some of the people in Miami are upset, mm -hmm. and uh, one can understand that too. And I think that's part of the overall immigration problem too. I mean, the what the immigration department does with the people when they get them here, how they disperse them throughout the country and things, which probably needs to be looked at, but uh, isn't a civil liberties issue as such. But I agree with you. I think you're saying that once we've decided those Haitians should be allowed to come here, then we should treat them much better than we're doing, to keep them in isolation the way we've been doing. Now, the only reason for keeping anyone behind bars, which we've done with these people, I mean, they're in wired compounds, uh, is if one's committed a crime. These people have no... They hadn't had trials, they hadn't been proved to have committed a crime, and they've been kept there. Uh, nobody's done anything to help them. Now, the ACLU has made continual protests ever since the start of this, uh, that this is not the right way to treat them, uh, to the Justice Department and whoever else we felt necessary. Um, I'm personally not been involved in this because it's been the people down in Florida and the people at our national office that has, but they, yes, most definitely they've been working all the way along on behalf of the Haitians to get a fair deal, to get a fair treatment, to get them out of those camps. Well, have they also been supporting the Cuban movement in as far as, well, like when Castro dumped and opened the gates of Mariel and dumped all the Cubans here from prisons and everything like that? The ACLU has never supported any political movement. Uh, we couldn't do that. Uh, we were discussing this earlier, that if we were, if we were going to defend civil rights, if we get into politics, even if it's only Republicans and Democrats or, and liberals and semi-liberals, we'd be lost. We would have no voice in the courts. So we can never go on the politicals. What we do is we look at what's happening to a particular group of people and if their civil liberties and civil rights are, are being taken away from them. And it's basically a, a human rights type movement. That's it, right. Okay. And if you want to know any more about it, I mean, I think that was also part of your question. I'd be glad to, you know, either talk to you at, at leisure at another time. Um, call the office. It's 781-6276. Okay, is that listed? Yes, it's Andres, American Civil Liberties Union. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Uh, okay, and we'll give the number and address at the end of the show so you can write it down and uh, uh, write letters or call or whatever. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, speaking of the American Civil Liberties Union and its operation, I can't help but notice that you have a, a British accent. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Are you fr originally from Britain? Yes. Mm -hmm. What area? Uh, the, the north of England. <coughs> north of England. Mm -hmm. I was born about, for anyone who knows um, England, uh, about 30 miles from Manchester. Mm. And 
then spent most of my adult life in Yorkshire, which I love. And I think a lot of people are probably familiar with that from various television <laughs> series oh, that yes. have been on PBS, things like the Harriet, uh -huh. uh, James Harriet's the, you know, the VET program there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't help but uh, remind everyone that, the, uh, that England is the home of uh, Amnesty International, another fine uh, human rights organization. Uh, has the ACLU uh, ever worked together with the Amnesty International? No, because, well, not directly. We mm -hmm. don't get into, into international affairs. Mm -hmm. uh, a long time ago, again, when we started, we decided that there was enough to be done here and it would cloud the issues. However, we do have, resp uh, we have representatives on those kinds of boards, um, on the, there's an international civil liberties and human rights groups. In fact, our founder, Roger Baldwin, who just died last year at the age of 94, Five was he, 96, um, served for us in that capacity. He'd always been interested in international affairs. And um, once he'd resigned from being the active executive director, he moved into that area. Yeah. Interesting. 795-1212, if you'd like to join in the conversation here with Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union of Cleveland. 795-1212, we have three lines open for you. I'm Ken Robinson on Radio 1490. We have uh, 28 minutes after the hour of 6 o'clock. We'll be here until just before 7 on WJMO. Hello there, you're on the air. Yes, I wanted to ask Eileen Robinson a question. Okay, Roberts, Roberts. Miss Arlene Rollins, a question? I want to ask her a question. Okay, she's right here. All right. Uh, speaking, speaking of the, uh, the uh, women's rights organization, I've talked with several women, but um, the, only, the only thing that they want the rights to get the same pay that a man gets on the job. Are there any other rights that they uh, want other than this? Is that the only rights they're fighting for? No, but I think that's one of the most important ones. Um, the right to, and if you're doing equal work, you should be paid the same. Um, it's more than that, though. In fact, a lot of women are still being, um, as are blacks, still being barred from jobs. And it's, and it's difficult for them to get into various fields still, even though we've had the Civil Rights Act for so long. Uh, this particular time in an economy, as I, I don't have to tell any black people, but I also not tell a lot of women. I mean, they're the ones that are first to go. I know, for instance, in the, the, the car field, mm -hmm. that a lot of women who'd taken jobs and started a whole new life for themselves based on the reasonable salary they were getting there have now been the first to go as people have been laid off. And uh, that that's very important. Um, for anyone to be independent, you, you need some form of support. But there are other things um, which we still need need to fight for in the education area. Surprisingly enough, um, women weren't being educated the same way as men were. Um, especially in things like vocational education, which again leads you to the, the job opportunities. We've been working in that area to try and get better training for both ways. I mean, very often a man can make more as a, as a hairdresser, a woman's mm -hmm. hairdresser, than, <laughs> than a woman can, in fact. It works both ways. Um, little things which um, sometimes, which might not seem important, like name change. Mm -hmm. A lot of women have had trouble because uh, under Ohio law, for instance, when you get married and you fill in that application, strange enough, even if you just write down your your own name and you want to keep that for the rest of your life, uh, the departments that it goes through will automatically give you your husband's name, which led to complications with voting rights then. It, it goes on and on. Once you start getting into women's rights, there's a big problem. 
Um, in the area of divorce settlements, uh, there was a study done by the Federation here, the uh, Welfare Federation, uh, and found out that in fact women were still doing very, very badly as they came out of divorce settlements. Not only were they not getting uh, an adequate form of child support, and there's hardly any alimony given now, but in fact there was a tremendous amount of the males, I think it's still running about 70% of males who are in non-compliance after one year, which again proves problems. And a lot of these are areas which should be dealt with, at least should be, women should be given a fair chance. Well, I think that uh, this is one of the reasons why that, uh, that they, hadn't been able, they hadn't been able to get the support from the different states that they wanted because it is like you say, it's a, it's a number of things that they want and they may end up, uh, you know, uh, certain jobs that they work on and they might injure their body and they, they're not physically able to do a certain amount of work and then they end up uh, suing the company and all like that. I think this is some of the things that the people are thinking about. It's why they haven't been able to get the necessary vote. This is just my opinion. And I, I agree now. I think it's a lot of people's opinion too. And, and some of them are, are sort of myths because in fact uh, women, most women can do their jobs as well as men can. It's been found medically that they have more stamina than men even though they might not be muscularly as strong. There are, but there's there's nothing to stop women. And when they, these jobs have been open to them, even in steel mills and the car companies and things like that, they've been able to do them. But the other thing too, which a lot of people are not noticing, is that the majority of women, and I think it's something like 70 to 80 percent, are going to have to work at some point in their life. Not just that time between school and getting married, but are invariably having to go back, going to have to go back either to support the family or because they're going to end up as a single parent. But there's very, very few women in the society now, and as we see it going into the future, who are going to have the luxury of being a housewife at home. The, uh, the world's changed. And we aren't acknowledging it. Okay, sir. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Very good. 795-1212. We have four lines open for your convenience. If you'd like to talk to Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union of Cleveland. I'm Ken Robinson on Radio 1490. And uh, we have 33 minutes after the hour of 6 o'clock. We'll be here until 5 before 7. Hello there. You're on the air. Well, uh, she gave some very good statistics there. Mm -hmm. uh, I was saying, well, I'm going to say one... Uh, as far as the uh, um, um, uh, the media goes for uh, the Haitian problem, is the media, the white media, goes to five people that are supposed to be representing the black community. And when you got five people that say this, that, does and so, and you don't have a permanent political foundation in the black community, you don't have uh, a permanent economic foundation in the black community, uh, and you don't have uh, that one powerful voice that speaks united, you're going to have a whole lot of problems. Uh, I was told by a friend that uh, there are some other refugees that just got here. They've been sponsored. They go to community centers. Uh, they, they, uh, they get help in trying to figure out this clown. And five or six years from now, because they have white skins and I don't, they'll be my boss. And, and I'm being told I'm inferior, which I know is a lie. Uh, she made some very good points uh, on a women's issue. I'm a, a young black woman, and I'm also involved in uh, two uh, black women's groups. Um, that uh, 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 you told him just right. Uh, according to a black women's newsletter, 70% uh, of poor women are head of household in the black community, and 55% of women are head of household in the middle class. That's 125%. And one other thing I'd like to say while I got opportunity, okay. I vote. 
And if many, I noticed in the last election, a lot of black candidates did not win because they did not network with grassroots and with the poor. With the, with the poor. They, they go and they deal with nothing but the, the top. You can't stay at the top all the time. You've got to deal with the bottom. And if you don't deal with the bottom, you're going to keep on coming up with nothing. Thank you very much. Thank you for calling. Any thoughts on uh, any of those uh, issues? There's a lot of issues there. <laughs> I think this, I'll pick up on the last one because mm -hmm. the right to vote. I think that's very, very important. And I wish more people would, would vote, would get up and vote. But it was one of the things that was part of the Voting Rights Act that became very noticeable when, the, when we started pulling in statistics and research, that in fact a lot of um, absolute black townships and areas, especially in the South, had not a single black representative. Mm. They were all white representatives, and something really has to be done about that. Mm -hmm. All right. On that note, I do believe we're going to take a break. Are we going to take a break, Tony? Yeah, he says we're going to take a break. Okay, Tony's okay. the boss. <laughs> While we're taking our break, you can call in and participate in today's show. We're holding a little seminar on civil liberties. And, uh, boy, we have only scratched the surface so far. We need another hour to talk about this, I tell you. Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union is our guest. I'm Ken Robinson. Give us a call, 795-1212, 795-1212. Our lines are open for you. And uh, we're going to come back with your telephone calls right after these messages. This show is brought to you by Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing. Panoramic, a vision moves in all directions. Based in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona, Panoramic is set to be the hottest up-and-coming streetwear brand, featuring the most distinctive t-shirts ever created. Check out our extensive collection at plclothing.store. Not just a brand, but a movement to inspire a goal-oriented lifestyle a goal to have a vision and stick to it. Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing at plclothing.store. We're talking about civil liberties with Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union of Cleveland. And we're going to get right back to the telephones at 795-1212, 795-1212. We have uh, 40 minutes after the hour of 6 o'clock, 20 more minutes before 7. We'll be leaving just before 7 o'clock, so we invite you to call in early and soon. Hello there. You're on Radio 1490. Hi. I'd like to ask, is Mrs. Roberts, is that the name? Am I correct? Right. Okay, I'd like to ask her two questions, because I'm not sure. I believe I read in the paper maybe a year or two years ago, that people who come to this country from other countries, when they come over, I'm not, I'm not speaking of the Haitians because this is a different situation, mm -hmm. they have sponsors and they sign a paper saying that they won't apply for welfare. Is this correct? Um, not to my knowledge, because I went through this quite a few years ago myself. It depends on what status you come in on. Um, some people do come in as sponsors. And for instance, we, my mother-in-law came over for a year. At that point, because obviously she was older, we had to we had to have her bank account monitored <laughs> by the feds to make sure we could support her and that, yes, that she wouldn't go on welfare. However, if you've gone through the whole immigration procedure and you've been accepted by the immigration and believe you me that's one real procedure i mean you have to fill in pages and pages of forms and you have to wait an awful long time and you have to have all your background checked and all kinds of things and it's it's a lengthy procedure and it's getting longer and longer as time goes on and there are less 
places available. But after you've done that and you've been awarded your so-called status and what you end up with is what, what's being called the green card, um, then you can come here and you're allowed to work. And uh, because you pay taxes and everything else, yes, apart from the right to vote, you get all of the other rights that Americans get. The second question I'd like to ask, when people come here from Vietnam, are they accorded some other type of, um, is it a law or some stipulation that when they apply for welfare that they don't have to go to work relief, nor, um, and they also get grants for education that people here in America can't get, and I wondered why is this? I not that I know of, and I, I'm not an, an expert in immigration law, um, not too many people are. W what might be happening is that it might be um, a Vietnam uh, person who's been an American dependent, who was actually the child of an American serviceman, uh, even, and there might be some situation like that, or a wife of an American serviceman. In that case, they probably would be eligible, but, but I'm no expert. I'm, I'm just sort of you know, <laughs> thinking of what it's some, some idea what it might be. Okay. Another big ruling was in the news uh, last week in regards to civil liberties. The, the Supreme Court made a ruling on banning books uh, by public uh, school uh, officials for so long. Uh, they would pull books out that they felt uh, were questionable in, uh, I guess, moral attitude or whatever. And uh, some pretty notable books were pulled out of a lot of libraries around the country. Yes, um... And the decision was, uh, I mean, the Supreme Court really didn't decide, mm -hmm. uh, which is good in some ways because uh, at least they they didn't say that schools could censor books. In fact, what they've done with the decision is, in fact, send it back to the lower courts to find out if the school board that was involved, it was, um, I think it's Long Island Treetops, it's called the school, had any justifiable constitutional reasons for, in fact, banning these books. Mm -hmm. um, so they want a little bit more information before they decide on it. But this is an area we've been extremely bothered about. We've been censoring what's, well, the monitoring, not censoring, monitoring what's mm -hmm. happening in the censorship world uh, throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, to date, there's at least 174 books that are being banned in American schools. Nearly all of Kurt Vonnegut's books, mm -hmm. um, Catcher in the Rye. But things which you never think of, a lot of John Steinbeck's books, Pearls of Wrath and things, are being... Which are classics. Which are classics. Mm -hmm. uh, things like um, My Our Body, Ourselves, which was one of the women's textbooks on a health book on looking after themselves. <laughs> That's been banned. Uh, even in places, uh, I, I read one report where um, I think it was a magazine called Mademoiselle was banned oh because they goodness. didn't like it. It turned out to be a girls' sewing magazine for teenagers, <laughs> <laughs> but because someone thought the title sounded a little bit uh, pornographic, um, mm -hmm. that was banned. Um, what the about the uh, rights of the students when it comes to banning books? Students' right. The to students to should have a right. That's mm -hmm. right to read. Uh, the one thing that. One of the things that we've always felt was that everybody should have the right to see and hear and read whatever they want to. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're dealing with a minor, the parent has the right to censor those books mm -hmm. and decide what, what they will read. But if you're an adult, nobody has the right, certainly under our Constitution, to, to stop you from reading those. Um, whatever you might decide is wrong for the society someone else isn't going to. I mean, we went through this with Mayor Perk a few years ago, yeah. where he decided... Um, to interpret the Supreme Court law ruling himself on, on this very issue, on a broader issue, on what was obscene. At that point, um, he went into the airport bookstore, which was the only thing he had control over, one morning and took out 
penthouse playboy uh, our, our body ourselves again <laughs> the joy of sex those kinds of things um and he also i don't know if any of you remember this but he sent out a questionnaire to everybody because he and what the supreme court had said they have something called community standards right. well, and what the, what it means is that um if anything has any literary political scientific medical etc value it can't be banned, even though it does look as if it's obscene. But also they put in this thing called community standards because they felt that what might be right, for instance, for San Francisco wouldn't be right for a small, sleepy little township somewhere. Mm. But they they keep the right to decide, not not a, a local municipality. And here, Mayor Perker decided, in fact, he had the right to decide. So he sent out these questionnaires. Unfortunately, he sent them out with the garbage. <laughs> and uh, we had the media descending on this town. It was the biggest joke. Unfortunately, again, Cleveland came the brunt of the jokes. But it isn't a laughing matter. It's very, very serious. Uh, this is the basis of a free society, the freedom to read and to listen to whatever you want to and whatever's available. All right. We're going to go back to the phone lines now at 795-1212. Hello there. You're on the air with Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union. Hello. Are you there? Oh, boy. Missed your big chance to be on the radio. Hello, you're on the air. Yes. Uh, my question to the guest is in regards to the uh, Equal Rights uh, uh, Amendment, which, uh, has, which did not uh, pass. Um, would it not, in fact, um, had it passed with our economy in the strained, situ uh, strained state that it is these days, would it not, in fact, have uh, caused, uh, even for the sake of right, uh, have caused uh, a devastating effect on the economy, though, uh, in regards to all the countless numbers of lawsuits that could have legally been filed in regards to um, jobs uh, and uh, job discrimination, pay discrimination. Wouldn't it have reinforced many of the in uh, discriminations in regards to um, uh, pay discrimination and promotion discrimination with the economy in this recession state? Couldn't it not have dev devastated the country had it, had it gone through? Just for the sake of being right, I realize some things have to do, and they are very costly. So wouldn't that have couldn't that potentially have devastated the country already in a recession? No, in fact, uh, at the beginning, it wouldn't have made any difference at all. And uh, very rarely, in fact, does a law have to go into effect and things happen straight away. What, and also, too, um, we've had the Civil Rights Act in effect now since 64. And Title Seven of that, in fact... Um, bans any kind of discrimination in employment in all the ways you've just been talking about. So women have been filing lawsuits ever since then on behalf of that. Uh, that wouldn't have made any difference. They would; Those powers would hardly have changed. A lot of the powers the, the, the ERA would have given would be at much more elevated levels of law where the Supreme Court, for instance, has not come down heavily on, on the sex, sex bias side. And that's a very technical area. But in reality, what would happen right now, very little would have done. A lot of the states, too, have already passed ERA. In fact, most of these things are banned in, fact, they're st in their states. Ohio passed ERA back, or ratified ERA back in 1974, and has, in fact, been changing its laws ever since then, and is very much in line with uh, where it should be. Um, we have... Um, equal employment laws, we have equal credit laws, uh, a lot of domestic violence laws and things like this have all gone into effect. In fact, the uh, argument that the gentleman just mentioned, sir, uh, it was also used less than 100 years ago as a reason for keeping blacks out of the workforce. Oh, I, I, I realize that, that 
uh, one cannot put a monetary value on what is right. However, as far as the physical reaction, uh, reality of the devastating effect, I merely speak of that, not as, as, a, uh, as a deterrent to it, but uh, I was asking her if she was uh, familiar with uh, the conceivability of such ramifications, that it would it in fact cause such a strain. You know, right is right, and you can't put a monetary value on it, but that's what I was concerned about. Would it in fact cause devastating effects as far as uh, uh, numerous other lawsuits? Mm-hmm. No, it, and I said my answer is it wouldn't, and in fact, 35 of the states, no, not, not 35, have already, already passed it, and, uh, and have, these things have been going to effect. What's more upsetting at the moment, in fact, probably, and the ERA is very, very disappointing, but it isn't stopping the fight, it isn't stopping what's going into effect, and the law is, is established in some areas there, but it's watching what's happening to the whole civil rights movement and what the administration is doing uh, to undermine the Civil Rights Act as it stands. For instance, Strom Thurmond wants to do away with it completely, and that's going to affect all minorities. Uh, and at the moment, all of the enforcement agencies that have been set up, especially at the federal level, all their staffs are being almost halved and their powers are being diminished uh, purely by the administration acts, nothing else, nothing else. And I think a lot of what we see now, the problems in the employment areas, some of them, are, of course, are due to the economy, but in fact, people are finding it very, very difficult to find any redress under law. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for calling. All right. Well, we have only a few more minutes remaining, but uh, we're going to try and cram in a, f- a few more issues to talk about here. Don't want to let them slip away. The whole issue of school prayer is back in the news again. People seem to be leaning toward putting prayer back in schools. The Including the president. Yeah. Um, yes, again, this is very bothersome. Probably one of the most important parts of, of the Constitution was the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who've come to America at one time or other in the past 200 years have been the victims of religious persecution of some kind. Uh, and so it's, it was very, very important that this separation take place. Um, now we've got whole groups of people who are saying that we've become an ungodly country and that therefore we should have prayer back in the schools. Um, one has nothing to do with the other. Uh, <laughs> but I think what's... Look at it practically. Even take away the First Amendment argument, which is absolute, and I can't see the Supreme Court changing their stand on this. They never have, uh, even read comparatively recently. But if you allow prayers in the schools, as the President wants to do, who decides what those prayers are going to be? In one area, in, say, New York and New Jersey, you might have predominantly or Massachusetts Roman Catholic prayers that the states would adopt. Um, in New York itself, city, it might well be Jewish. Uh, in, one, in, in Cleveland, the Cleveland School Board may decide that it's going to be Baptist or even Muslim or something like this. But who gets to decide? And then what happens um, to to the children affected? I mean, if, if you didn't happen to be a Roman Catholic and your children were being forced to say so many Hail Marys and um, etc. Even, feel even if they weren't, they might be ostracized by the rest right. of the class. Exactly. I mean, that option that the children don't have to do it, which also the president suggested, is, uh, is very bad. I was brought up in a country where, in fact, the Church of England, the Episcopalian faith, is the established church of the country and where you have to go to assembly every morning. Mm. And I always felt very, very badly for those people who had to excuse themselves because they were not of that faith. How, I mean, and even if they weren't ostracized, just the feeling that somehow they were different, they were made to feel different. Mm. Uh, and it, then it hit home at one point where I'd been brought up a Methodist. Um, 
and in one of my we had one hour of scripture week that was also we had to take we were, had to say the creeds the um the episcopalian creeds and i didn't know it whereas i could recite easily the, the lord's prayer that was no trouble i've been doing that right from the start i couldn't do this and it bothered me and i began for the first time to get that feeling of what it was like to be different and it's a very very hard thing and certainly nothing none that our children should have to face in schools school is a place for learning religion belongs in the home and in the churches and the temples all right, and on that note, I guess I'm going to have to close down shop here on Radio 1490. I only got to ask about half of the questions I had written down here. <laughs> so I'm going to save the, the rest of them for when I invite you back to talk about uh, more on the civil liberties issue. I'd love to come back, Ken. It's Excellent. been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure having you, and I salute the fine work the ACLU is doing. We thank you. My pleasure to have you here. Well, we've been talking to Eileen Roberts of the American Civil Liberties Union of Cleveland. If you'd like to give them a call or uh, get some more information about any of the issues we talked about today, here's their telephone number. It's 781-6276. 781-6276. And they're located at 1223 West 6th Street, Cleveland, 44113. This podcast was created with Linux the best computer operating system on the planet. Linux comes packed with lots of software and fights off viruses and malware. There are hundreds of Linux distributions, so it's easy to find the one that's right for you. It brings old computers back to life and makes new computers fast as lightning. Plus, it's completely free. Find out more, go to Linux Alive on Facebook. By the way, you know that Microsoft has now abandoned Windows 7. What are you going to do? Well, don't go out and spend a lot of money on Windows 10. And don't spend your hard-earned money on a new computer. All you need is Linux. And did I say it's free? Go to Linux Alive on Facebook. Welcome to Ken's Corner. I'm Ken Robinson. A new survey finds Americans are concerned about their ability to save money. The poll from the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards shows nearly 8 in 10 people are worried about having enough to get by financially in the future. Board member Eleanor Blaney says there are many factors involved. As you can imagine, due to debt and other financial pressures, being children, being imminent retirement, being job change, being medical expenditure, these are all things we're aware of. Experts found that debt is what keeps many from saving money on a regular basis. Blaney adds that young people are the largest demographic who worry about saving enough money. And they've got kids in the house, so they have a lot of children, family obligations, and they're spending more on those present, those immediate concerns, and feel that they're not saving enough. You have current expenses that may be, you know, too high to enable you to save as much. And then, of course, you have, you know, future expenses that, that really is what we need to save for. The Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards is a nonprofit organization that administers a certification program to nearly 74,000 financial professionals. Thanks for stopping by Ken's Corner, part of the K-Rob Collection. Learn more about our shows by checking out krobcollection.com or the K-Rob Collection Facebook page.